in are, are reducing a lot, it would it's a pretty likely scenario that uh, our our long term outlook is going to be a great challenge if we don't have those kind of people coming in that in three, five, seven years move back out. So you can bring them back out very, very quickly, Alicia. We're get, we're get at the top of the hour for you, for you as you know, people used to leave and even even people emigrated. Of course, they have to commit to get there to get their citizenship. But would they come back as well, or are they gone for good? They're gone for good, Andrew. Uh, it breaks my heart. Look at those highly educated. Uh, some people speak multiple European languages are leaving Hong Kong. I love Hong Kong. I, I was telling my colleague that it really breaks my heart is seeing these people leaving Hong Kong for good. Okay, well, I'm sticking around for a while, uh, and uh, I hope also is our guest, Alicia Ma, the CEO and founder of Housing Council, and Rob Chipman. I hope you're hanging around for a while because you are the CEO of Asian Tigers Group and a great guy to have here. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Okay, we're looking ahead, and uh, the, the Australian uh, index is already open. Wow, they are have, looking to have another great day down under. We are checking the weather in Hong Kong. It is going to be cold and misty. Uh, we've got a few rain patches and mist in the morning and night. Bright periods in the afternoon, though. Max temperature of 23 degrees. I'm Andrew Work here all week on Money Talk. And now the news with Samantha Butler. A public hospital doctor caring for coronavirus patients has urged people to respect social distancing measures, saying there's no way Hong Kong's medical system can cope if the surging cases worsens. Dr. Manamala Daman-Gadan works at Princess Margaret Hospital. She says despite the new rules over the weekend, closing entertainment venues and gyms and reducing seating capacity in restaurants, she still saw people out in large groups hiking and dining. She says it's time for everyone to show self-discipline, given the high chance of a community outbreak. It is an individual responsibility for each and every one of us to take this upon ourselves, stay home and do all the measures that we need to do. As long as the numbers are controlled, we can control and we can provide care. But once the numbers go out of hand, I don't think there's any system in the world right now which is capable of handling so many numbers. President Trump says the next 30 days are vital and that social distancing can save more than a million American lives. Speaking at the daily press briefing of the Coronavirus Task Force, he also addressed the issue of testing. Today we reached a historic milestone in our war against the coronavirus. Over one million Americans have now been tested, more than any other country by far, not even close, and tested accurately. The president also praised the efforts of American companies to produce more much-needed equipment like masks and ventilators. There's been a sharp increase in the number of patients with coronavirus dying in France. It's registered its worst daily figure, 418. France has now recorded more than 3,000 coronavirus-related deaths, but official figures account only for those who die in hospital, not at home or in residences for the elderly. Jérôme Pinot, a doctor in a Paris hospital, says finding beds is a big problem. We are at full capacity at totally full capacity. In the intensive care unit, we're also at full capacity. We will open up intensive care beds to be able to strengthen the service, since other intensive care wards are also at full capacity. Today, finding space in intensive care is an endless puzzle. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. The chief executive of the hospital authority says patients recovering from COVID-19 could be sent home if the number of cases skyrockets. This came as 39 confirmed virus cases waiting for hospital beds by mid-afternoon yesterday after testing positive. Yun Kwok Yun, microbiologist, has described the situation as a bit out of control. So can Hong Kong cope with the growing number of confirmed cases? How useful are the measures suggested by the government last week? Should people with mild symptoms recover at home or in hospital? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now on the line, we have Dr. Sridhar Siddharth, Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. In the second part of the programme, after nine o'clock, we're going to be joined by Dr. Kwok Karki, Civic Party lawmaker and uh, medical doctor, and also Michael Tin is a lawmaker with uh, Roundtable. If you've got any questions or comments for uh, them or for anything you want to ask the doctor uh, in the first part of the uh, programme, then uh, do uh, drop us a line, bankchat at rthk.hk, or even better, Pick up the phone, give us a call on 233-88266. We're back in the studio, the normal studio today, so I think everything should be working. Uh, Fingers crossed, 233-88266 is the uh, number. Uh, As ever, we have uh, quite a few uh, emails. Let's uh, kind of, I'll space them out, but... um, Here's a few, uh, including a, a kind of a sad one to start. Uh, this is from Martin, who says, um, Hello, Hugh. Hope you're doing well in this social distancing and semi-lockdown circumstances in Hong Kong and at RTHK. In view of the higher incidence of COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong just now, but still low mortality rate, I would propose a shout-out for Hong Kong's medical workers, doctors, nurses, cleaners, admin staff, and particularly ambulance personnel. These people are under huge pressure all the time. Now, more than ever. I've personally seen their immense efforts during the recent sad illness and death of my wife Jennifer at Princess Margaret Hospital and earlier treatment at North Lantau Hospital. I'm clapping and cheering them right now. Um, thank you very much indeed for that, uh, Martin. Sorry to hear about uh, the Jenny. Um, uh, and uh, that's a very interesting idea about a shout-out for our medical workers. That's been done in other places, hasn't it? We haven't really done it here, although I, I have heard of efforts to kind of coordinate that and um, some people who are thinking of trying to organise something maybe i think there's a health day on uh, april mm. the 7th have you come across that anything um not really but let's do it yeah that would be, <laughs> it would be a great thing to do um uh okay this is from uh, jk who says uh you may be interested to know uh, to learn that the Aus- the austrian uh, red cross is promoting a stop corona app that acts as a contact diary in which personal encounters are recorded in the user's smartphone and stored anonymously. If a person shows symptoms or falls ill with COVID-19, the contact group will automatically be notified and asked to isolate themselves. And there's a link to a Reuters story about that. Austria bets on mass testing to manage coronavirus spread. Uh, Stay healthy and regards. That comes from uh, JK. And uh, Frank, who uh, read out a message yesterday, says, thanks, Backchat, for reading out my question. With Glenn Shive and David Zweig, uh, this was on yesterday's programme, speaking about the Canadian and UK debacles, sorry, they made the decision to leave civilised Hong Kong. There was not much opportunity to discuss this. Yet I heard uh, one of... This is the issue, sorry, of uh, what uh, per capita numbers. Yes, I heard one of your contributors say that in Germany, COVID-19-related deaths are low because they have many nurses. 
Ironically, many nurses in Germany may be competent and compassionate Italian, Portuguese or Spaniards, but I doubt they can perform miracles. So the low mortality rate in Germany may be uh, due to either very sick people being kept on life support for long, clinically it makes no sense to do so for more than five days, or the super spreaders, mostly children, not having been in close proximity with the German elderly stroked immunocompromised population, the vulnerable group. This, unlike Italy and Spain, where social norms keep these two groups in very close and physical proximity. Spanish mamas are great huggers. Anyway, I wonder if you may consider inviting the Consuls General of Switzerland, Singapore and Germany to speak in your next programme. Singapore has been called the Switzerland of Asia, supposedly rational discipline clean it may add a bit boring and germany stands out for its low mortality rate in addition i understand spain counts as covid19 positive all those tested as such those with a clinical presentation of bilateral pneumonia whether tested or not and those never tested before they die but suspected to be covid19 who are then tested post-mortem i guess in true open style spaniards do not like sweeping dust under the carpet swiss may be tempted germans well looks like given the opportunity they do thanks that comes uh, from uh, frank thank you very much indeed there are other messages i'll get to those uh, in due course dr siddharth good morning to you Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. What, what about the, um, that last uh, topic there? The very different uh, mortality rates recorded in, in, in different uh, places uh, around the world, the different rates of infection uh, and, and so on. Do we, have we got any understanding of why that is so different? Why uh, there is such a difference between, say, Switzerland and, and Singapore, so many dying in one and not the other? Right. Well, there are a lot of uh, factors, um, among which obviously the strength of the healthcare system, the resilience of the you know, care infrastructure from getting overwhelmed, all of these things play a role. But one very, very important factor is how many people do you test? So if you test many, many, many people and detect a lot of mild infections, you're doing two things. You're increasing the denominator of the formula you're using to calculate mortality. So you know that there are more people infected and less of them are going to die. Then uh, the mortality rate uh, appears to be much lower. The other thing you do by finding more cases is that you isolate these cases quicker so they spread, spread to fewer people. So the society as a whole controls the outbreak much faster. So Germany, to the best of my knowledge, and uh, especially many countries in uh, East Asia, South Korea is a shining example of that, uh, perform mass testing and their mortality rates are among the lowest in the world. Um, what about Hong Kong then? Uh, we have not tested that many people, although uh, there are now uh, measures uh, uh, at the Hong Kong airport uh, to test people. Uh, is it too late? We need to start because the last week has been absolutely horrendous as far as the spike in cases are concerned. I think we perhaps were a bit uh, complacent after containing the first wave so effectively, but uh, now that there's the second wave introduced in from the US and uh, UK and Europe, we, we really need to start looking at ramping up mass testing dramatically if we want to have a reasonable control and still maintain Hong Kong as a working city. So how, how could that be done? In Korea, there are drive-throughs, and um, yep. you know, so you get tested. You don't need to even leave your car. How, how can Hong Kong do it? You know, we are so densely populated. Uh, you need 
highly innovative solutions for Hong Kong. Another example from South Korea that would be a good idea would be the mobile uh, testing booths. I think many of us have seen videos of those uh, online in which uh, individuals walk into these booths and then there is somebody to take the sample from them essentially in a no-contact way because there's a partition separating them and uh, they're able to uh, basically insert uh, their gloved hands into the booth without any contact with the individual, collect the sample, and then send it off for laboratory testing. The booth is completely disinfected, and then the next person walks in. So these booths are set up uh, in affected communities around the country in South Korea. So you need highly innovative solutions. And the second part of that is once you identify these, waste no time in isolating them and waste no time in quarantining their contacts because uh, it, it's just A lot of the discussion and the effort now seems to be not on testing, but on on what to do with the people who have tested positive and, you know, the speculation about whether they should be uh, treated at home and they should stay at home, of course, as they do in many places around the world, or go to hospital. Uh, what's your view on that? I, uh, I personally would prefer not to keep them at home, uh, especially for those, even if they're mildly infected, they might be shedding a lot of virus. And uh, that is obviously a risk to the people they live with, as well as a risk to the people in the same apartment uh, block, as we have seen with Armoid Gardens and SARS, as well as a few times in this uh, COVID-19 outbreak. I, I think the best solution is to set up an isolation camp, just like we have camps for people coming in from overseas. We badly need camps to manage mildly infected individuals, right, who don't need constant medical supervision. I mean, a proportion of infected individuals are completely asymptomatic, so there's no reason for these people to stay in a hospital until they turn clear for the virus, which may take 10 to 14 days. Valuable hospital bed. So, so they should be sent to to one of these government camps, and w would we have enough um, medical personnel to to you know make daily observations? Absolutely, you have medical personnel taking the temperature uh, a few times a day, and uh, you would you would you, they would essentially be at these infected individuals that they can call. So, if there's any change in condition, they can have a number to call or a or a buzzer to press and somebody will come in and attend to their needs right away. They're still patients, but the thing is, uh, if we have a mild case of the flu, we don't, uh, we discourage people from going to the hospital because it, it just takes up an extra bed and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't particularly help the infected individual either. So a better solution would be to manage these individuals in the community, but because this is COVID-19 and it's a new infection, it's better to have a isolation camp where they can dedicate an isolation camp where they can be nursed. Right. Is there a reason uh, that the younger uh, people um, get infected, but they only uh, show mild symptoms? I, I know of one case, actually. It's a friend of a friend's son uh, who's 13 years old. He came back from the UK. Um, he has no fever, no cough, and he just lost his sense of smell. And then right. he was tested positive. So is there a reason for that? Well, young individuals generally tend to have a much uh, more robust, immune response, when I say robust, it's more well-directed, there tends to be a lot less apparent inflammation, there tends to be a lot less immune-mediated damage, per se, to the 
to the lungs or other organs during the COVID-19 infection. But for the elderly, because like other organs, the immune system also tends to age, right? So it tends to work less effectively or less well directed against the virus and you get a lot of collateral damage. Something we see with other infections is that young children also tend to respond like the elderly because their immune system has not developed fully. But fortunately, with COVID-19, we are not observing that. The mortality in young children is also very, very low. Okay, some uh, questions and comments uh, from listeners on um, the spread of the uh, disease. Uh, John John in Saikung says, Hi, I don't understand why celebrities can easily get COVID tests before anyone else. Royals in the UK, football players uh, in Hong Kong. That comes uh, from uh, John. Uh, Mary says, Dear Backchat, having shuffled towards checkout in long lines on a number of occasions recently, it's quite clear that one is far more likely to be in contact with an infected person at the supermarket than in a restaurant. Two recent examples were at Taste in Wampa, long queues even for self-checkout checkout machines. The small items checkout counter had only two cashiers who also had to jump out from time to time to clear trolleys. The branch at entrance to Chunwan MTR with only regular checkout, similar experience of long queues in limited space. No attempt has been made to make more space by removing shelves with products in front of checkouts. With so many people newly unemployed, there is no shortage of job seekers. Looks like our supermarkets creaming it in due to the current crisis, more folk cooking at home and runs on certain products, are reluctant to employ additional staff or reduce obstructions that force shoppers into close proximity. How about some officials with tape measures where clear issues of social distancing are being ignored? The creation of some temporary jobs would also be welcome. That's a suggestion from Mary. Dr Siddharth, I mean, how would you say uh, supermarkets uh, compare the risk to uh, restaurants? Well, uh, supermarkets obviously being an indoor space where there are so many people congregating together, they are a high-risk setting for uh, transmission of any virus, let alone COVID-19. However, the problem why there's been such a focus on restaurants is because bars and restaurants is because there there have been local clusters of cases linked to bars and restaurants in Hong Kong. And the other problem is in bars and restaurants, you are not wearing a mask. So even if an asymptomatically infected individual walks into a supermarket, if they're wearing a mask, they are controlling the virus right at the source and there's less of a chance that it's in droplets all over the place. But at restaurants and bars, uh, by definition, they remove the mask at some stage and then they uh, spread the virus quite, uh, quite widely within the area. But uh, I, I totally agree with what has been said. In any indoor space where people congregate is a risk area. and We have to look at uh, practical solutions to reduce the, the uh, crowd over there. Okay, a similar uh, point raised by Victoria on our Facebook page who says, I'd like to ask two questions. First, how should we handle the cleaning of food, fruits, vegetables and meat? I know that heat kills the virus, but what about salads and fruits without any outside skin like grapes and so on? Second, why have we not heard any supermarkets closing due to contamination? I know City Super has been closed due to an infected customer and did extensive cleaning. Surely with over 600 cases, there must be people who have been to a supermarket shopping such 
such as domestic helpers. I'm not suggesting closing the entire parking shop or welcome chain to scaremonger, but what if a supermarket worker is infected and has handled the food? And if one specific shop is affected, surely they can just shut that specific shop. I'm slightly concerned because a friend of mine showed me a picture of a supermarket mid-levels on the weekend. It was total madness. Masks are not mandatory yet, and yet there were still people shopping without masks. And even masks aren't 100% foolproof. Thank you. That comes uh, from uh, Victoria. uh, and what about that that second point, Dr. Siddharth, first of all? Um, uh, you know, it, 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 have, have you heard of supermarkets being closed for decontamination? Well, I personally haven't heard of that, mm. uh, apart from the uh, city super, which I'm sure they'll be decontaminating before reopening. Uh, but it's a legitimate point because the virus can uh, survive in, on surfaces for a period of time maybe from a few hours up to a few days. So there is a, there is a risk. The important thing is to always pay close attention to hand hygiene when you handle any produce or products at the supermarket. And also when you bring fresh produce back home is to wash it very thoroughly. And uh, yes, heat does kill the coronavirus, so cook your food properly before eating would be uh, the best advice. And how would you wash uh, fruit and vegetables, for example, especially fruit? Fruit and vegetables, right. The best uh, is, well, running water, basically. Because it's fruit and vegetables and we actually put it uh, in our bodies, I I don't personally like spraying it with too many chemicals or disinfectants. But uh, running water in the kitchen sink, really go through it uh, leaf by leaf, for example, if it's spinach, and uh, make sure you get a very, very complete rinse and uh, that would dramatically, dramatically reduce any surface contamination already. And don't forget to wash your hands with soap afterwards. Okay, so you don't you don't need to use any kind of detergent or vegetable cleaner or anything like that. Just a good wash in flowing water. Absolutely, a good wash in uh, flowing water. Okay, what what about uh, goods that you buy at the supermarket? Um, should they be wiped down or disinfected before you put them uh, in your cupboards at home? Uh, you can do that to completely, you know, eliminate any surface contamination. But uh, personally, I think a better way would be to just keep washing your hands regularly because if there's any contamination of the surface, if you touch it, then the risk happens when you touch your uh, eye, nose, or mouth with those contaminated hands. So instead of you know going through each and every product and doing a kind of disinfection cycle that may or may not completely remove everything from the surface. I think it would make more sense to just be mindful of where your hands are, avoid touching your uh, nose and mouth and wash your hands regularly. Every 20 minutes to half an hour, just have a, have a, have a wash. Okay. Okay, Mo, thank you for that. Uh, Mo says, uh, can you get virus from people smoking cigarettes, vape or shisha? Do the droplets travel through smoke? Great question. Uh, basically, the, the act of exhaling smoke is similar to things like uh, talking or laughing. Uh, does generate droplets? Yes. So there is reason to believe that the vi- that virus-containing droplets can exist in smoke. Now, obviously, these uh, the, the smoke is at a slightly higher temperature, so. That may or may not uh, uh, reduce the viability of the virus to some extent, but it is uh, reasonable to say that uh, individuals 
may exhale virus containing droplets when they exhale smoke from shisha. Okay, so some more. Thank you. Uh, some more comments. Alan says, "I was listening to the clearly distressed nurse speaking in New York earlier this morning, and interestingly, she said that her and her colleagues all believed a total lockdown is the only way to try and contain the virus. Is this the only effective way? And should Hong Kong immediately be doing the same until we can genuinely get the numbers under control? No movement in or out of the country at all. Restaurants, bars closed, and people must stay indoors?" Question mark. That comes from Alan. Uh, what are your views on a, on, a, on a lockdown as they have in other places, Dr. Siddharth? Right. It, 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 I think it's a binary decision. Either we get really smart on how we isolate, quarantine and mask test for the virus, or we lock down. Because with the trend of the number of cases increasing, once we start seeing 100 to 200 cases per day, eventually uh, the, the, a lockdown might be the only definitive option. But we're doing everything we can to prevent that because that is so disruptive to people, it's so disruptive to society and the economy as a whole. So we do everything we can using high-tech solutions as far as possible to prevent that. And I hope the government is really looking closely at how to do this because otherwise it's a losing battle. Uh, okay, maybe you want to respond on this as well. We, we touched yesterday on the issue of wildlife markets in China and Southeast Asia. Martin, in an email, says this is a rather complex subject for which you have to cast a much wider net. It's not only China, it's the whole of Southeast Asia, and not only its wildlife markets where transmission and cross-transmission between different species is possible. Farms and other vectors and habits play an even bigger role. China started long ago through public media campaigns and restrictions to discourage people from eating wildlife. Uh, after COVID-19, they will double down on it even further. If you travel frequently to China, visit people and friends, you will find that habits have changed a lot in recent years. Nowadays, most people shop in supermarkets and convenience stores, not a lot at wildlife markets. But China has 1.4 billion people, so you always find exceptions. Also, in the US and Europe, you have some rather risky, weird tastes and large-scale disease outbreaks at farms, some of which are zoonotic. For example, the H5N1 outbreaks in Germany come to mind. Even in Hong Kong, we have problems with our live poultry markets, but are the majority of Hong Kongers people shopping there? Should we shut them down? Uh, Southeast Asia might be a far bigger problem. Have you ever seen the wildlife markets in India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, etc.? With absolutely no restrictions and large part of local populations shopping there. Just watch some videos, for example, from the best ever food review sh uh, show, Sunny Side Travels All Over Asia and the US and shows you the markets. You get the idea. And there's a couple of links to those there. Martin says, I leave you and your listeners with a photo of Chaying Wen, her ambassador and cabinet members eating bat soup in Palau, in 2019, raving how delicious it was. No joke, this was posted on the official Twitter channel of the Taiwanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. That comes uh, from Martin. Um, uh, Dr. Siddharth, any thoughts on, on wildlife markets? Uh, uh, are, are they an important vector? Are they, how do they compare with farms, for example, as a, as a vector? And um, do you know about the problem in China and Southeast Asia? Well, any kind of uh contact at the human-animal interface is bound to cause issues. We see zoonotic infections all the time. We see emerging zoonotic infections all the time. The best example of that is, as was mentioned, avian influenza. These are not wild animals. These are basically poultry, right? And we handle them uh, day in and day out for millennia, basically. But occasionally, viruses do emerge in these populations with the ability to spill over into human populations. And that's a risk that we live with. 
Uh, and that is a risk that we can't avoid because poultry is basically so important to human diet, etc., all around the world. The, the thing is, at what stage are we taking on unnecessary risk by handling wild animals that may harbor completely unknown viruses? There's a huge program for screening and testing poultry for influenza viruses all, in many countries in the world. But for wild animals, it's always an unknown. For example, the culprit of this current outbreak, one of the initial suspects is a pangolin. We have we limited knowledge about the virology of pangolins. It's never been characterized in the past. We don't know, you know, what viruses they carry, with the, their potential for transmission to other animals, including humans, etc. So we we have wildlife markets anywhere in the world, right? We are kind of playing with the unknown, and occasionally, every ten years or so, a cautionary tale emerges, and. Uh, and that has been the case this time. So the question is, do you really want to take that unnecessary extra risk that basically puts the world in lockdown? Okay, well, Dr. Siddharth, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Dr. Siddharth Siddharth, uh, clinical assistant professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of uh, Hong Kong. A couple more, more comments. So Graham says dogs travel on a health passport, perhaps inbound passengers to Hong Kong should have a negative virus test to get on a plane. If that's too difficult, then what about waiting list to at least spread the load on our facilities? Uh, and uh, John Kowloon says Hong Kong's hotel and retail sectors have unquestionably been two of our most badly hit sectors, but there are two crucial differences. Firstly, while most retailers lease their premises and are therefore subject to the eye-gouging rents which landlords charge them, the majority of the hotels own their property. property. Secondly, while the majority of retail shops are run by small independent operators, most hotels are run by deep-pocketed property tycoons. Uh, uh, some hotels could be used for patients who are not seriously sick, thereby freeing up capacity at hospitals for more critical patients, while others could be set aside specifically for returning residents who are subject to the 14-day quarantine. That comes from... Uh, John Kowloon. We're going to break now for the news at nine. Back in three minutes with uh, Kwokkaki and Michael Tin. We hope the weather cloudy. A couple of rain patches and mist this morning. 21 degrees at the moment. Humidity is at 94%. In American lives. Speaking at the daily press briefing of the Coronavirus Task Force, he said a million Americans had been tested so far, more, he asserted, than in any other country. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Bank Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Tiverton. We're talking further about the aspects of the coronavirus and the situation, in particular uh, in, in Hong Kong. We're joined uh, for this part of the programme by Dr Kwok Ki, a medical doctor and civic party lawmaker, and we hope to be joined soon also by Michael Teen from uh, Roundtable, uh, also a legislator. As ever, we want to hear from you. Give us a call, 233-88266. You can talk directly to our guests. That's what they're there for. Um, or you can uh, send us an email Chat at rthk.hk. We may edit for time, and I'm sorry I'll do my best, but I uh, hope I don't mangle or misrepresent um, your your emails. Your co-host today, by the way, is, is uh, Ada Wong. Um, okay, some uh, interesting uh, emails on a variety of topics. Um, uh, JY says, I think those Hong Kong people who want to come back from other places should have already come back. So in the coming days, the situation will get better with less confirmed cases. And uh, on the issue of return, Zach says Hong Kong, some Hong Kong people still go to Peru for vacation and one died there. Others request a chartered flight to bring them back from places. So why don't they think carefully of the consequences 
before going. That's uh, from uh, Zach. And a couple of uh, e emails on, uh, I guess, the uh, geopolitics. Um, Bowen says, uh, Dear Backchat, professionals like your guests on March the 11th, John Nichols, and yesterday David Olson obviously faced difficulties when they were asked to comment on public health matters which are deemed or alleged to have a cultural or worse still political angle in this part of the world. On the face of it, it's about potential accusations of racial bias, Eurocentricity, China bashing and so on. One suspects it's even more about the fear of offending officials of a country which wields enormous economic and political influence. The problem is that if every time, for example, for instance, the topic of wildlife animals in the mainland's wet markets is brought up, the focus gets shifted to the proliferation of similar markets throughout Southeast Asia and allegations of efforts having been stepped up by the relevant authorities, a sense of urgency and of the need to stay focused on the issue inevitably gets blunted immediately. The fact is that the two most disastrous coronavirus outbreaks in less than two decades have both originated from wet markets in China. And while the trading of wildlife, wild live animals in these markets was banned in the mainland after the SARS outbreak in 2003, the profitability of the trade soon ensured its return. And there is no guarantee or even strong indication that this will not happen again this time. If we keep insisting on the mainland authorities remaining totally resolved in banning past practices because this affects the health of the whole world, this is not racism. And it is also right and proper to ask China to take up a leadership role on this issue in East and Southeast Asia, given its clout in the region. That comes uh, from Bowen. And Derek uh, says... Um, Dear Backchat, on Saturday, the WHO Assistant Director General was interviewed on RTHK and refused to answer questions about Taiwan's membership into the organisation. Why does China have so much control over the WHO? The WHO stand by their recommendation for people who are not sick to not wear masks. With the exception of Mike Rouse, most of your guests and hosts seem to disagree. Does this have more to do with the worldwide shortage of masks than their effectiveness? Yesterday, uh, I sent masks to a friend in the UK who desperately wanted them for her asthmatic niece. The Hong Kong Post Office told me, to, told me speed post would take at least a month and the parcel might get stuck at the airport. There is no longer airmail service to the UK. I had to queue up for three hours at DHL, who told me it would take a week. It's getting worse out there. Those thoughts uh, from Derek. Once again, backchat.rthk.hk is our email address. Uh, Dr Kwok, good morning to you. Yes, thank, hello. Hello, thank Morning. you much indeed for, for joining us. Um, first of all, what, what about the issue of, of uh, care? Um, are, are we at the point now where people who test positive uh, should be treated at home or should they be put in a hospital or into quarantine or what? Now, we have uh, now, as of today, we more than 680 patients, but the trend is worrying. We are having uh, 40, maybe nearly 60 per day as more and more Hong Kong people is actually coming from Europe uh, and also United States. And I think this trend will continue for, for a while. We don't, we don't, we do not know what, when will be the end, but you know, it's coming as a huge, uh, numbers. Now, the most of the negative pressure room in the public hospital are already nearly all occupied. Uh, theoretically, we have 1,000 beds. But uh, we are occupying about 60% of these uh, bags and 70% of the rooms. But in fact, no more will be available because we need to have some research uh, for very ill patients because many of these negative pressure rooms are in fact uh, rooms in the intensive care unit. 
and the others will be in the pediatric uh, uh, intensive care unit and also pediatric isolation uh, rooms. This room will not be used until it is very desperate. So we had a problem. We have some nearly 40 patients uh, uh, yesterday waiting to be admitted to the hospital and unable to do so because of the lack of the facility to, to accommodate them. So yesterday, the hospital authorities started to change the so-called 400 rooms of the second tier into negative pressure isolation room. Uh, but I think within a week, this room will be fully occupied uh, if the trend continues. So all over the world, uh, actually, uh, many cities worse than us is actually doing something to convert some of the uh, big area um, uh, space into temporary hospitals. So the most uh, uh, quoted example is in New York City. They changed four convention centers, the biggest of the Jaguars, which is actually uh, available to use into uh, 1,000 back temporary uh, hospital. And London is changing the, uh, the expo into 4,000 to 5,000 5, backs uh, um, uh, temporary hospital and Birmingham is following another 5,000. Manchester is coming another uh, 10,000. So what we are seeing is over the world that uh, many cities are already uh, doing their jobs to change the facility into temporary hospitals. The reason is simple. Now, Although we need to be very careful in treating all those patients, but uh, ma- uh, majority, pretty this way, more than 80% of the low-risk group is, belongs to the, to the group which do not have severe complications. Uh, they include, you know, um, patients under 65 years of age, do not have any chronic disease, not pregnant, not children, and for this particular group, uh, majority of them will be uh, tied over the whole period without uh, significant complication. But we need, still need to house them because, you know, in Hong Kong, it's quite different from the other cities. The usual living environment in Hong Kong is not satisfactory. We could not provide really isolation uh, standard in normal, you know, home uh, conditions. And secondly, we need to take care of these patients, although they are already, you know, uh, downgraded from the very, you know, first uh, tier services, medical care, but they still need some constant care. For instance, we need to check into the general status, whether the fever is continued, whether they need any drugs, uh, whether some of them actually under the antiviral treatment. So we need to follow up uh, for complications, side effects of drugs. So, so that's why we need a facility. And I, I suggested to use the exhibition uh, convention center in one trade to convert into a temporary hospital in order to cope with this uh, very serious situation. Okay, and I know people have also spoken about using the Colosseum in, in Hong Kong in, in, in a similar way. Uh, Michael Tierney is with us, a uh, legislator with uh, Roundtable. Mr. Tin, good morning, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Okay, from your point of view, looking at the measures which have been introduced over the weekend, the distancing, the restrictions on restaurants and so on, and, and the situation at the moment, uh, what's your take? How do you think we're doing? What more do you think we need to do? <coughs> what the government doing is just trying to send a signal to encourage all of us to make our best effort to be socially distant. And I think 
they're definitely on the right track. Uh, it is almost impossible to come up with a set of laws that would be consistent and logical in all circumstances and totally fully enforceable. We all know that. 1.5 meters between groups, but then there's no distance between members in the group. And why four? Why not three? Why not five? You already have people at the Soho bar. They are congregating, maybe two or three together, but they are less than 1.5 meters between groups. How do you measure them? Of course, in restaurants, it's a bit easier. If you can spot a table with more than four, you can go warn them. But I think all in all, government is trying their best to send a signal to everybody to try to not to put more pressure on our hospital care uh, facility and our healthcare workers. As you were saying, we're now 60% occupied, all our you know, uh, beds, emergency beds. Those uh, 40% remaining are very, very critical. Every one of us should try not to really uh, be, con uh, not to uh, really uh, pick up this uh, particular virus. Okay, so uh, there's so much gray area, a lot of them may be uh, illegal, a lot of them may be non-enforceable. It's just a best effort. Now, if we don't together, all right, uh, just act sensibly, each of us, okay, to try to lower the pressure uh, on the hospital and the medical care, the next step, I guess, is really a footman. And I was looking at other countries that have gone much farther than Hong Kong with a footman, which means everybody can only uh, leave their house if they are going to work or they buy food or medicine or see a doctor. Okay, that's like a complete lockdown. All right. I don't think we really want to come to that stage in Hong Kong. But whether or not we will, I think we all have to be mentally prepared. If the numbers keep going up, okay, uh, and we are running out of hospital facilities, what then do we do? Our death rate so far has been, uh, you know, quite low. But uh, uh, then there comes a question, uh, if somebody is contacted, contracted with a virus, do you just leave them at home or do you treat them? Once you treat them, then who gets the priority? So I think this is a very critical point where we all try uh, to make an effort uh, to minimize the risk. So I don't know, WHO saying no need to wear a mask unless you uh, feel you, you know, have a, a fever or sickness. I, I, I've been receiving so many signals now on a daily basis that everybody is just playing safe. You just wear a mask, you know, most of the time during the day. Um, uh, Mr. Teen, well, what about a shortage of manpower? Uh, for example, the Department of Health spokesperson said that, um, you know, the Department of Health is actually quite short of staff. Um, are, are there any way we could uh, increase the staffing or get volunteers to help? For example, you know, they, they have not been able to update uh, the uh, names of the buildings where they are home quarantine people, and, and that is a, a good piece of information for everybody. I think most of the government departments are just scrambling for uh, <clears throat> a uh, uh, quick response uh, to all these things that are happening. Originally, they did not even pass out the wristband. And 
then once they pass out the rich band, there's all kinds of problems. So everything that government is doing is going through a learning curve. And during that period, I think, uh, obviously, there's a lot of leakage in this whole system. Um, <clears throat> so I've been pushing for wristband on day one, as early as February 8th, when they locked down all the land borders and uh, <clears throat> restrict everyone to 14-day quarantine in those days. Uh, and I realized later on that actually they never really used wristband. So all these people that's coming in from the mainland actually are sort of on a home quarantine basis, and everybody knows how volunteer that kind of uh, system is. Uh, even now today at the airport, when they now have strict measures, they are not actually testing everyone. I press government to test every incoming uh, returning Hong Kongers from uh, all over the world to at least take a test before going to home quarantine. And government has been slow to do that until recently. But now their uh, way of mandatory testing is actually for the person to go home and then give them a period of t time to send in their samples. And now they're saying in the first day or two, uh, uh, only 75% send in their samples. So a lot are not tested. So I think our testing needs to be stepped up. But then the next question, obviously, is what we've been talking about. Once you're tested positive, what do you do? But we cannot say we don't have enough facility to treat those who are tested positive. So let's not really strictly enforce the testing. I think the testing is really, really important. Okay? That's, and that's, the next that's, step yeah. is what do you do with that? And I guess maybe eventually they have to stage the degree of severity. If we really are short on capacity, we can look at cruise ships. A lot of uh, other cities have turned cruise ships into temporary floating hospitals. Uh, other mentioned about uh, venues and stuff. So these are the things we need to do. All right, some, some comment. Uh, Jeffrey says it's... Uh, it's time for the government to enforce rent-free period for three months with all property owners. And if a landlord can prove they are in hardship due to not receiving rental income, such as a loan to pay, they can apply for government subsidy like the restaurants did. And second, since Donald Trump is trying to get the COVID-19 to China virus, I suggest we rename Spanish flu to American flu. That comes uh, from uh, Jeffrey. Uh, and... Um, Alan says, do we know when the residents' returning numbers will drop down, hopefully to zero? Uh, Dr. Kwok, I mean, because we, 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 you know, we see this big increase in numbers uh, from people, uh, a lot of people who have travelled, um, but we're going to, I thought people have kind of stopped travelling now. Are we going to see those numbers then reduce? Now, <laughs> uh, you know, upon the implementation of so-called uh, strict uh, quarantine measures uh, in all the borders. We have now 50,000 people who had or ongoing having the, the so-called compulsory quarantine. So I, I really can't say we are actually having an end on on the trend because you know we we still we know still a lot of the students and people working uh, in UK or maybe in other European country in United States waiting to come back to Hong Kong. So I think these figures will um, maintain at a high level for maybe at least a couple of weeks or maybe if not a, a month. So 
So we really still facing a huge problem. How do we face with the large numbers of people coming back from Europe, maybe United States, and many of them will be eventually tested to be positive. So we need to house them, number one. I fully agree that we should, you know, at this moment to stop any more burden on Hong Kong, uh, apart from, you know, so-called the uh, local residents. So I urge the government to stop, you know, allowing the visitors coming from uh, mainland to Hong Kong, particularly in this very moment, because we know uh, starting from last week, uh, the Hubei already, you know, lift the ban. And in eighth of this month, of the next month, and Wuhan will leave the ban. That means we are really facing another huge uh, uncertainty, whether, you know, there will be a third wave of the coming of this uh, COVID-19. Now we are suffering at the second uh, second phase, but we do not see the end of the tunnel. But we, the more to come, the worse will be coming. So we, we must stop the entering of the uh, visitors from mainland, you know, as soon as possible. And we got and back to the, uh, the uh, what we need to do. I think we should wait no time and waste no time to change our the person uh, venue, which is available to be converted to a temporary uh, hospital, number one. And secondly, we have been asking for the government uh, for months whether they can liaise with the hotel industry to make room for those um, people like the so-called the compulsory home quarantine of the close contact. Because of, for the close contact, meaning that they may not have the disease, they, uh, some of them have been tested negative before they are uh, required to do the so-called the, uh, 14 days uh, uh, compulsory quarantine. So these sort of uh, people will be, you know, very good candidate for staying in the hotel. We have altogether 80,000 rooms in Hong Kong. And we do not have sufficient, you know, numbers of customers to fill up the space. The, the occupancy is single digit. I can't see, I don't know why, the government is still doing nothing to liaise with the hotel industry. Now, they ask them to go to the uh, hotel at their own cost. The problem is a lot of them, they stay in different, uh, different hotels, but they do not know, you know, next to your room, other people uh, actually have or have not, do not have a disease. So that is a problem. We in Macau or in other countries, what they have done is they are, you know, they change a whole hotel, uh, different hotel into a so-called a quarantine center, and they have support and help from the government to help them to do the isolation, to do the quarantine, to do the cleansing, and a lot of other policy. When they face with customer, they have the chance of spreading the disease. So this should be done as soon as possible, and this will certainly help our community or the society to coping with this huge number of uh, either they are uh, tested positive, uh, they are the close contact or, you know, unknown people, uh, visitors coming from elsewhere. And we, we need to do so as soon as possible. All right. Some, yeah. some, some more uh, comments. Mike uh, says a comment from a New York ER department. Uh, if the government was serious and they didn't want to be a second New York disaster, they would shut down the city. If they wait until like in New York, where they have 40 to 50,000 needing hospital treatment, they will be forced to shut down for months, not weeks. Uh, uh, 
JY, I don't get, I haven't got your the whole of your message. So if you want to resend that with a shorter title, I think either the title has been cut off. Uh, okay, John in Sai Kung says, Hi, these, these temporary facilities are not hospitals. Be honest with the public. There are no facilities except a bed. There is no CT, no MRI, no surgery, no morgue, etc. Do they have negative air pressure? That's from John. Jalal says, why is LegCo closed? They should be working overtime to prepare Hong Kong to deal with the virus. For example, they have not passed or debated the court proceedings electronic technology bill. Without this bill, the Hong Kong judiciary has ground to a halt. Please ask your guests to get back to work uh, immediately. That comes from Jalal. I'll get some response on that in a moment. Uh, Marcus, uh, in an email, referring to an earlier and, and regular correspondent called Martin. Uh, Marcus says, uh, Martin may sound more credible if he used his or her real name. Is it Hu Ji Xin? And, and uh, Mr. Hu is the editor-in-chief of uh, in Chinese and English editions of the uh, Global Times. That's an interesting question. Uh, from Marcus, the uh, real identity of uh, Martin. Uh, and uh, uh, Mo says, different question not related to health. Why did the Hong Kong government close local organic farmers' markets but did not close wet markets? Are they targeting local farming? That comes uh, from Mo. Matthew, I, I'm sorry, I don't think we'll have time for, for, your, for your question. Uh, Michael Tin, what about Jalal's point about uh, 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 the court proceedings electronic technology bill, which would allow the uh, judiciary to uh, work uh, better? Uh, any response on that? Well, right now, I think the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, mainstream thought is that Anything that is absolutely vital to Hong Kong, uh, um, you know, uh, any kind of bill uh, relating to the current virus, controlling it or whatnot, uh, uh, should be uh, allowed to go ahead in LegCo. So I actually agree with that, okay? Anything that is not immediately associated with the bill, other than something, uh, of course, then there's a huge debate about the budget. And when you talk about the budget, then, it, you know, you bring into the elements of politics. Uh, other than those few, uh, right now, basically, uh, let's go is in session. Uh, my personal opinion is that actually uh, I've been paid by taxpayers. Uh, it's my duty to work. I will take uh, uh, stringent precaution. Um, you know, I have no uh, objection at all uh, in um, going to LegCo and work. Of course, then, if we uh, ask everybody to stay home, uh, would it uh, send a mixed signal? Now, I don't think so, because people, though they are asked to stay home and to be socially distant, uh, nobody is discouraged from going to work. Of course, you can talk about uh, uh, home office and all that. Uh, that is something that so far has not happened at LegCo. We have to have face-to-face -face meeting, be present. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if we take enough precaution and there are bills or whatever matters that are crucial to dealing with this particular crisis, uh, we should go forth with it. Right, but there are meetings that uh, have been cancelled. And uh, are LegCo members allowed to meet electronically, like via Zoom? Well, so far, they have not suggested that. Uh, legally speaking, I don't know. I really don't know. For example, you need a quorum 
to form a meeting. Now, the definition of a quorum, I guess, has always been physical presence. So if you can bring an iPad to go anywhere and constitute a quorum, whether anybody would challenge uh, that particular aspect of the uh, rules and regulations or the law. They have to redefine the definition of quorum, right? Dr. Kwok, has electrical work been hindered by the coronavirus? Um, we have been waiting for, you know, meetings to meet with the health chief and also the uh, chief secretary regarding the um, immediate response to the COVID-19. We have been waiting for long. We have we wanted to hold meetings of the health healthcare panel and also we wanted to have some emergency questions. But all of them have been, you know, uh, stopped because of the uh, outbreak. So it is unfortunate, but I... I think we can still explore the possibility of holding a panel meeting, you know, by electronic means. But for the uh, council meeting, if it's any legal binding, I think we need to seek the advice from the uh, legal advisor before we can conduct the meeting, because some of these patching of the legislation will be have uh, impact on many people. And if uh, we are subjected to, you know, judicial review, then we probably will be running into troubles. For panel meetings, I'd like to uh, ask the, um, the chief of the uh, food and uh, uh, food and, and hygiene, and also for the Department of Health. I think we, we we have to do that, and I think this should be this can be done. You know, as as of other uh, council meetings elsewhere in the world, they use various means to conduct important meetings. Uh, of course, we need to uh, obey, you know, the social distancing, but it doesn't prevent us from working. And we, we are you know, more than happy to do whatever we can for our city. And we are more than happy to have any meeting in whatever form to serve the community. This is our pledge. OK, a couple more emails to finish off. Jay says we have more than 10,000 policemen. They should be doing one or two spot checks a day on hotels and flats. We know where the people live. This is on, I think, the question of people doing quarantine. Do they fill in paperwork uh, at the airport? Uh, and on Facebook, Nig says, forget letting more mainlanders in. The police two days ago arrested five men from Guangdong province with overstaying visa in a subdivided flat. They have fever when tested. That was reported in Ming Pao. It's not Facebook here, say. Enough said. And Barbara says, should lock down completely right now. Everyone should stay at home except for buying foods. That's uh, from Barbara. Uh, thank you very much indeed to uh, uh, everyone who uh, commented uh, this morning. Very interesting uh, points and questions raised. Thank you very much indeed to our guest, Dr. Kwok Kaki there, Civic Party lawmaker. And thank you very much to Michael Tin, round table uh, lawmaker. Thank you uh, all very much indeed. Ada, many thanks to you. Thanks to uh, Andy and to uh, Noreen in the control room this morning. And happy birthday to our researcher, Michelle. To boot, the weather, cloudy, a few rain patches and mist in the morning and at night, bright periods in the afternoon. The temperature's up to 23 degrees, the outlook, one or two showers tomorrow. Cloudy and windy in the following couple of days. 21 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity is at 95%. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler.
A public doctor says the 400 isolation beds that the hospital authority has opened up across its hospitals may not be able to cope with a surge in coronavirus cases. Arasina Ma from the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association says these so-called second-tier beds are best for recovering patients with a low viral load. But if new cases surge to 200 a day, the current first-tier beds may not be enough. President Trump says the next 30 days are vital and that social distancing can save more than a million American lives. Speaking at the daily press briefing of the Coronavirus Task Force, he said a million Americans had been tested so far, more, he asserted, than in any other country. And Facebook has removed several videos made by the Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, arguing that they promoted disinformation about the value of self-isolation during the coronavirus pandemic. The social media platform said the content on Facebook and Instagram violated its standards. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Sam. And a very good morning. It is James Ross in the house, in fulfilled this week on The Morning Brew. Loads of stuff. Chat and music. Tell one. 